Good morning. It's good to see you. Appreciate that you're here. We have visitors present. We welcome you. It's good to see the proctors from uh, years ago for me at least. Let's see them again. And uh, everyone else, good to see Lawrence back home from his uh, trip safely and with stories to tell. And we look forward to hearing more of those from him. Uh, I kind of followed him on Facebook a little bit, saw a few photos. He and Sister, sister uh, Marietta as well, in fact. Uh, but good to have him back also. And others who, who may have been ill and able to be back, uh, we have some others who are away and we pray God's care for them. As we turn our attention to God's Word, I invite you and each one of us to get a Bible and to listen very carefully to what God says in His Word. We'll do our best to try to turn our attention to it and to His will and Word for our lives, but then it's going to be up to us to turn our hearts and our lives in that same direction, to do those things that God has taught us and to commit ourselves in faith to His will. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, We want to encourage you to begin that uh, with the most important step of uh, becoming a child of God. We'll encourage you at the end of the the lesson to put your faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and confess that faith. faith, To repent of your sins against God and to, uh, with that changed heart, uh, be baptized into Christ Jesus for the remission of your sins. As He has died for us for that forgiveness, God has qualified us to be inherit uh, to inherit uh, in uh, to inherit heaven and to be transferred into His kingdom. Sam pointing those that note uh, pointing those truths out to us this morning in Colossians chapter one. See, we have to respond to what God has done, and so become a Christian and live for Him every day once saved. And uh, and truly, the blessings of God that mentioned in Psalm 103, will surely abound in your life now and throughout eternity. If we're Christians and we know that we've not been turning to God for the source of blessing and direction and guidance and, and, uh, and uh, plans for our life, then uh, we encourage you to change that this morning, to repent of every sin, to confess it to God and He will forgive. And we want to talk this morning uh, a little while and give a word of exhortation really about life and about death. Um, and and, uh, it's not a new subject, but it is a subject that quite often we don't think a lot about. And I I was asked if I would uh, preach on this, and uh, I'm happy to do so, uh, to remind us again that it is important to go to the house of mourning, more important than the house of feasting. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2-4, through he says there is an advantage to going to the house of mourning, to thinking about... Death to going to a funeral. Now we don't enjoy them uh, because there is loss, and yet for the Christian, there's a great hope and a great uh, associated joy that the world doesn't understand and cannot take away, even in that moment. Because you see, we understand as Solomon wrote, "This is the end of all men. The living will take it to heart." To go to the house of mourning is a time of learning for us. Because you see, that's where we're all going to be. And it's important in life that we think about death. It's important for young people in life to think about death. It's important for old folks in life to think about death. And everywhere in between. Put yourself on that spectrum. I'm not going to dare do it for you. But we're all there. We live and we're going to die. And 
the, the lesson today is, is designed around that fundamental point. Because we need to remind ourselves that we are immortal. We are not simply about the flesh, about living on this earth. We think about uh, life and the fact that God created it, God gave it, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and give him dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, over all the creatures that, uh, that uh, crawl upon the face of the earth. And so God created man in His image after His likeness. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So man and woman, humanity, is created after God's image. And part of that image is our immortality. When animals die, they're dead. There's no more existence. They only live in this realm. We go beyond this realm. We are unique. I know a lot of folks comfort themselves with images of, of, of all sorts of things beyond this world, of the other creatures of, of, this, of this earth. But the truth is, we and we alone rise above mortality. We and we alone will never go out of existence. And unless you're living your life realizing that you will always exist, you've not yet arrived at the viewpoint of life where God wants you to be. And that's what we want to examine for ourselves this morning. Am I looking at my life the way God has created it and the way God expects me to look at it? To understand I'm in His image, and that is far more than physical that my mortal life affects my immortality. That, that how I live now, today, as a mortal being is going to impact how I'm going to exist when this flesh is laid down. When I don't have it anymore, but I'm still going to be around. I'm still going to exist, and you are too. In Galatians, the 6th chapter, verses 7, 8, and 9, the Apostle, by inspiration, said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now that's true in this life, but note how he takes it into another realm. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So now he takes it beyond this moment. He says there's a corruption that goes beyond this world, and there's a life that goes beyond this world. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Well, why? For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The reaping is not now. It's beyond now. It's beyond death. But he says how you live now in the flesh is going to impact that. So don't lose heart. Don't grow weary while you're doing good. Because you see, life goes beyond this mortality. The Bible is filled with that truth that it contrasts the mortal with the immortal. With the immortal, mortal—that which is mortal—is temporary. But 
The immortal part of us is going to endure. Going to go on and on and on and on. It's not going to be a not going to be an annihilation. We're going to exist, either in life or in eternal corruption. Mortal is uncertain. You don't. We don't. I mean, that's our text this morning from James. There's uncertainty in the flesh. Time and chance happens. Accidents happen. Illnesses happen. Diseases happen. All kinds of uncertainties happen. But you see, there's a certainty about immortality that God has arranged for every one of us. Either corruption or life evermore. The mortal brings changes. We experience that change in ourselves, our bodies. We change from youth, from babies to adolescent to adulthood to seniors to death. We go through it. The flesh decays and returns to the ground. But you see, the immortal part of us, there's an unchanging aspect. Our identity, that which is in the image of God is going to go beyond the time when this outer man is put in the ground and decays. The mortal, how we live in the flesh, in mortality, we're accountable. We are answerable to God. And the outcome is going to be affecting the immortal. Now, we understand in resurrection, the body is going to be raised and it's going to be changed, incorruptible. Because you see, there's going to be an outcome that we're going to have forever and ever. Now, Recognizing that contrast throughout Scripture, and here's just a few of the Scriptures that describe it. He says 70 years, or even if by strength 80 years, life is, is brief. He says it soon goes away. Psalm 80. I'm sorry, Psalm 90. I was just uh, communicating with a fellow I was in school with 40 years ago. We're talking about anniversaries coming up. 40th anniversaries coming up next year. He said, where did all the time go? Well, it goes 24 hours at a time, doesn't it? Or minute by minute, or second by second. We can all look back and say, wow, boy, that's brief. Now, you know, if you're, you're about 15 or 18 or 25, you might think, ah, how am I going to ever... I, I'll never reach 40. <laughs> now I look at 40 and say, boy, that's young. <laughs> you know, time, time has a way of... If we let it, time has a way of deceiving us. Because we can think that we're in control of it somehow. We're not. We're really not. We, we can redeem it. We can use it. But we didn't start time and we're not going to stop time. We, we live within time and it either becomes an asset or a liability depending on choices we make. Go back over there to Psalm 90 and verses 10 and 11. This is a psalm, by the way, written by Moses. Now, he lived 120 years. Yet he said, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. It's soon cut off and we fly away. However long you live, it's punctuated by sorrow, it's punctuated by labor. In fact, it's defined by that. And... It ends and we fly away. In Psalm 89, verses 47 and 8, remember how short my time is. 
For what futility have you created all the children of men? Our time is short. It's not long. Teenager, your time on this earth is not long. If you live 80, 90, 95, if you live to be 100, your time on earth is short. That's the perspective every one of us need to have about life in the flesh. Chapter 78 and verse 39. Psalm 78, the 39th verse says a similar point. It says, he, uh, For He remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. And so, what did Paul write? You remember this passage. Though the outward man is decaying, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And so he talked about our light affliction in the flesh. Because you say, the fact of the matter is, whatever the affliction is in this life, he says, in contrast to immortality, it is, it's a light burden to bear. And so he says we do not lose heart. Now how can you not lose heart in a moment of pain and anguish and suffering and seeing your loved one in pain and anguish and suffering? You've gone through that. If you haven't, you probably will. How do you not lose heart? Because you see, faith is at the core of this context. and Faith is at the core of our lives. Understanding we're more than flesh. We're in the image of God. The world doesn't view life that way. But we must... And we do, because we know our earthly house is going to be destroyed. We have a building from God, eternal in the heavens. And if man destroys your flesh, and some of our brethren died for their faith in the first and second and third centuries, and still to this day, are put under tremendous pressures. There's a building that's eternal in the heavens. Did you see? Mortal and immortality. Is that how you're looking at your life? Is that how we think about life? Because after all, we need to recognize that, that what defines us shapes our eternity. What defines us shapes our eternity. What defines you? What is it that really defines who you are? Jesus said, "No man." He said, "Lay up treasures in in heaven." In fact, he began by saying, "Do not lay up treasures on the earth." In Matthew six nineteen. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves, thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so what defines us shapes shapes our eternity, because what defines us is what our motives are, what our attitudes are, what our character is, what our actions are. It's who we are as a person. Is it defined by faith? Is it defined by truth? Is it defined by the world? Is it defined by treasures? Is it defined by houses, by money, by job? Is it defined by faith? Is it defined by service? Is it defined by giving? What defines our life? Is that shaping our eternity? What Shall a man be profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul or his own life? Matthew 16.26 You see, what we value is what we store up. How we view life and how we view death defines who we are and how we live and whether or not we're ready to die. Are you ready to die? 
It's not a scare tactic, it's a reality. Death is real. The question is, does that factor into the choices I'm making in my life while I have life, while I see life as a blessing? And so James, in James 4, in our text, said, what is life? What is your life? James 4, verse 14. What is your life? Well, what is your life? Well, let James... You know, James's answer was, you're, it's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So, two qualities that he, he points out to us about our life. Our life is, is uh, brief and uncertain. He said, you don't know what's going to happen in tomorrow, verse 14. So, what's your life? If you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, then what kind of life do you have? Well, it's uncertain. And... It's like a vapor. It's a vapor that appears a little while and vanishes. Now, is that how you think about your life? Really? Do we think about ourselves as life is uncertain? It's going to have ups and downs. It's going to have challenges. It's going to have blessings. It's going to have a whole spectrum of activities and things coming coming at me. And I accept that. Because I understand that's the nature of life. Here on earth. You know, sin changed everything. Life was not uncertain in Eden. <laughs> but it is now because sin's in the world. Death's now in the world because of sin. And so, life is short. We're going to die. But understanding those points about life, let us, let's round out our perspective. By understanding life is a gift from God. Life is a gift. It's not a curse. There are doctrines that, that would, would essentially have us believe somehow or another life is a curse. Life is not a curse. It is a blessing from the hand of God. If you think about your life as a curse, let God's Word change your thinking. I'm not going to be able to change your thinking. Let God's Word change your thinking. God's Word says this, Isaiah 42 and verse 5, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I the Lord have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. He gives breath to those who walk on the earth. God is the giver of life. I... Sister Maurice forwarded me a, a post this week, an article she saw about evidently back in Ohio, there's, there's some religious folks who are going to have a, a day of blessing. They're going to all get together at, the, at, at Planned Parenthood and have a day of blessing. God blessing their ability to choose to kill their unborn babies. Oh, don't say it like that. Oh no, it's not about that. It's about choice. It's about independence. It's about... You. You see, how do you look at life? How do you look at life? How does the world look at it? The world doesn't look at it like the Word of God says. It's a gift from God. And we shove that gift back in God's face and take somebody else's life and say, it's my right. It's my dignity. It's my... They say, God's blessing... 
That was the thrust of that article. This is God's blessing. And religious leaders are going to be leading them in blessing the abortion clinic. Calling good evil and evil good. Isaiah 5.20 Things have not changed and won't because that's the nature of sin. But brethren, God is telling us we need to look at life very differently. It is a gift from God. He gives to all life and breath and all things. Acts 17.25 So are you thinking about your life that way today? God has blessed you with life. It's a, it's a great honor that God allows you and me to live on His creation and given us authority over all of His creation. Psalm 8th chapter, What is man that you're mindful of Him or the Son of Man that you think of Him? You've given Him authority over all the creation of your hand. He's to be honored for that. And, and, and yet we understand that, that great privilege and blessing and gift, we're still a vapor. And so it forms this other aspect of how we view life. It's in, it's in Psalm 39, verses 4 through 6, and that is we need to know our end. Because you see, the temptation is to begin to think that, well, you remember the king of Babylon in Daniel? Was about the fourth chapter, I think. He he surveyed Babylon and and he he said, "Look at what my hand has done and what I've built." And God explained it to him by turning him into a wild beast for a period of time to understand that God rules in the affairs of men and gives it to whomever He pleases. See, the temptation is we forget. We think we're in charge. We think we have power. And we don't think about death in terms of, of, of uh, being a vapor, or life being a vapor and death uh, being, being certain. No, we, we just push that off. We don't go to the house in mourning. We don't learn the lesson that needs to be learned. Psalm 39 and verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 4 beginning. 39.4 Lord, make me to know my end. Make me to know my end. He says... That I may know, uh, and, and, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my day as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, even man in his best state is but a vapor. You see, James was referring back to Old Testament scripture. You're a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Well, why wouldn't he? After all, the same God who inspired James inspired David. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain and heap up riches and does not know who will gather them. See the poignancy there? The, the, the problem that exists when we, when, we, when we forget our end? When we forget how frail we are? The, idea, the word frail there carries the idea of we forget how ceasing or destitute we really are. We think we're stronger than we are. We, we think somehow or another the things that happen to other people won't happen to us. Well, we know we're going to die, but yeah, I know. Well, yeah, we know we're going to die, but you know, it, we don't really think about it the way we need to. Perhaps as often as we ought to. Oh, it's just, that just makes me sad. 
Now see, that's part of the problem. The world has no hope. But 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, we don't sorrow like the world who has no hope. We have hope. So we can think about death. We can talk about death. We can understand and prepare for death because to us, death is an opening up to life everlasting. But to the world, it's fearful. To the world, it's the unknown. To the world, it's, it's just... You know, just you just stop existing. No, it's no. We're going to last forever. We need to get ready for death. What is your life? See, we show what we think about life by how we live it. What is your life? We we show what we think about life by the way we live. And this text talks about what, the way some people live it. Some people live for money and for the moment. Remember the man who asked. The Lord divided the inheritance with His brother. And Jesus warned of covetousness. That a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And He illustrated with the man who tore down his barns and built bigger. Built bigger. He says, eat, drink, you know, take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But tonight, the Lord said, your soul is required of you. And the things that you've gathered together, whose will they be? So is a man who's Rich toward himself and not rich toward God. Covetousness essentially is is we we want to enrich ourselves and we don't think about anything else. Not rich toward God. Some live for money in the moment. You know what the Bible describes that as? Vanity. Vanity. Because if we just live for life on this earth, that's the message of the of Ecclesiastes. The man who was wealthy beyond imagination, Solomon. And he talked about the vanity, the emptiness ultimately of gathering riches. Because when you've done all that, what's going to happen, Solomon? You're going to die. And you're going to leave it to somebody else. And who knows what they're going to do with what you've done in your labors, in your work, in your money, whatever it is. But you see, when we just live for money in the moment, we're living for ourselves. And he says that's... A life under the sun on the earth lived that way is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All things are full of labor. Verse 8 of chapter 1 says, Men cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In vain. You see, in vain we rush about trying to fill up life with the things that the world has told us makes us happy. And yet in reality, it's all vanity. And that's exactly what David said in 39 and verse 6 of the psalm. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. What are you busying yourself with? What is it that consumes your life? Day in, day out. Every day. There's responsibilities. There's things we must do, and rightly so, and godly things. Jobs, education, so forth. But what's at the core of all that? What's what's underneath all that? What is supporting all that? What it needs to be is heaven and eternity. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, the fathers, Noah... 
and, and more and more, the ones in Hebrews 11, they live not for the moment. They live for a city whose builder and maker is God. And so he makes the application to us in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We'll live for heaven. We'll make that the reason for our lives. To serve God. Because we know we're immortal. We're in His image. And He gave us life. And so, we want to give Him what He's due. Not what we think we're due. You know, we think we're due things. The world owes us something. No. Our people around us owe us something. No. God gives us life and He's the one we owe our faith and our allegiance. See, that's, this life is a life of faith. What does that verse say? Hebrews 11, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now when we live a life with the assurance that comes from faith, we have a hope. Faith secures our hope. And that hope reaches beyond death, into the veil, beyond the veil, into heaven itself, where Jesus has gone and provides us atonement and life everlasting. No, none of us can serve two masters. We'll either hate the one, love the other, or hold the one and despise the other. We cannot serve God in mammon. So what are you planning for your life? Let me just summarize these last points. You know, actually, we're going to just stop right there. I don't want to summarize. I want to talk more about this tonight. Tonight, we need to, we need to ask ourselves, what are you planning for life? What are you planning for your life? Are you planning to be loyal to God? Or are you making plans that essentially make you the enemy of God? You love Him? Or do you love riches? We cannot serve two. When we try to live for both earth and heaven, we ensure our failure. We ensure our failure when we try to live for earth and heaven. Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. Either we will love the one, we'll hate the one and love the other, or we'll hold to the one and we'll despise the other. We cannot, we cannot serve God and men. So tonight, we're going to ask about our plans. What those plans are, what they ought to be. How they look as we're shaping our uncertain lives and our short lives. As we rush about, walking about like a shadow. Are we ready to, to die? And are we in fact living so that, it, so that in fact we are ready to die? I hope you come back tonight at 6 o'clock and join us in this further study of God's Word. But I hope tonight, this morning, even now, we have said something from God's Word that has got your attention to realize that maybe I need to change the focus of my life. Maybe I need to realize that the life that I have is an opportunity God has given me. See, with blessing comes an opportunity to respond toward God in a way that honors Him and really addresses and reaches the potential God has given me in this life to be who I ought to be, to fulfill the purpose God has given me. 
So if that's the case this morning for you, and you realize you're not living that purpose, but you want to begin by being saved in Jesus and be a Christian and be a child of God, then we urge you to obey His Gospel right now. We urge you to not, right now to, 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 in humility, repent of sin. It takes a humble heart to allow truth to convict us, to teach us and show us our sin, and then to change our heart about it and to shape and mold our life differently now to do the will of God. If you'll confess your faith and repent of your sin, water is prepared and you can be baptized into Christ. An action of faith on your part in which you die to sin and are raised to walk in newness of life. Now in Jesus Christ. Now, with life now, abundant life. Now and into eternity. We can help you do that. Our correct sin as a child of God. We urge you to respond while we stand and we sing.